0: Now, of course, all of us in the tennis world right now have all of our attention turned to the action going on in New York, the Western and Southern Open being played right now. Of course, that's being followed by the U.S. Open, and I know I speak for all of us when I say we are so excited to see our favorite pro tennis players back on court competing against one another, Uh, but of course, while that is taking up most of our attention, that does not mean the action elsewhere in the tennis world stops, and of course, all of us were crushed to learn late last week weekend uh that the Iowa men's tennis team, of course, a power five conference school, you would think a big athletic department, a well-funded one, particularly given the success of their football program. Uh, they made the shocking announcement that they are going to be canceling their men's tennis team following canceling, cutting, excuse me, their men's tennis team following the end of this 2020-2021 calendar year. And you know that's such a it's such a tough thing to hear, of course, for all the athletes for the many players players who have played for Iowa over the years. Of course, we recently had Iowa men's tennis coach Ross Wilson on our Cracked Interviews podcast to celebrate the fact that his program had reached new uh, heights for their school. They had cracked the top 20 of the ITA rankings for the first time in program history during the 2020 season. And look, of course, it's devastating. I know people who have played for Iowa or, you know, are currently on the Iowa team. And, you know, if it's happening at a Power Five conference, is any other school? Is any men's tennis program across the country immune from being cut? Who knows? And so uh, obviously it was a decision that got caught the attention of so many of us. And so we're all going to be thinking about college tennis and you listeners know college tennis, something near and dear to our hearts here at Crack Racket. So of course, I uh, just wanted to go over that again and just talk about how sad that was. But nevertheless, there are a lot of really cool things going on in the college tennis world. Some positives we should all focus on because now more than ever, we all need some positives in our life, right? And, you know, a huge positive for me was getting the chance during one of our Cracked Rackets Open, which we hosted back in, I believe, July. I don't know. They're all scrambled at this point. Back in July uh, in Cincinnati. And I got the chance to meet for the first time. Well, not meet for the first time, but certainly talk in depth for the first time with today's guest on the Cracked Interviews podcast. And, of course, you know him for his time. I think he served 20 years as the Ohio State Volunteer Assistant Coach alongside of his lifelong friend Ty Tucker. Of course, he is now taking the job at his former school as the Denison Men's Tennis Head Coach. I, of course, am talking about Dave Schilling, and if you have followed college tennis closely over the past two decades, you know about Dave Schilling. You have seen him as a part of every Ohio State Men's Tennis match. He has been integral to so much of what has transpired in men's college tennis over these past 20 years, and so it was great to get to pick his brain about the current state of college tennis, the level of play we've seen. Of course, I get to ask him about his career. I get to ask him why after all of this time at Ohio State was Denison the job that he ended up saying yes to because you know a coach like Coach Schilling has gotten offers to coach elsewhere in the past as well. And it's just a really fun conversation, a dose of optimism I think all of us need right now, uh, particularly when relating to college tennis. And more than anything else, it was just great to get to chat with Dave, who obviously is quite the brilliant tennis mind, so it was a lot of fun for me just as a tennis nerd. Uh, of course, the reason we are able to have these conversations day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends uh, over at Midwest Sports, and I've been saying it for years, so I can keep it brief. You know the deal. For more than 30 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They've got it all, folks. Shirts, strings, shorts, rackets, shoes, grips, grommets, I mean, shock absorbers, all of it available for you, all in one location. Uh, best of all, you can get 75% off your order. You can get, excuse me, 25% off your order. You can get free two-day ship, 15% off your order. I'm screwing all of the numbers in my head right now. Let's try that again. You can get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls by using our promo code CR15. Now, to make things even better, you should know about their Western and Southern Open Can giveaway competition where they are giving away a free Babolat racket free head racket four free tickets to the 2021 Western Southern Open and so much more. You can sign up for all of that. Find all of their outstanding products by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. Again, while you're there, use that promo code CR15. Let them know we sent you. It would be greatly appreciated. And of course, we always appreciate the work from our friends at Midwest Sports. So MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. Of course, we say it all the time. Look good, feel good, play good. You're going to look good with Midwest Sports. You're going to feel good with our friends over at at Aerobar, Aerobar offering the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And you know, again, best of all, we all know about the heightened importance of fitness, of nutrition in the modern game of tennis. We talk about that week in, week out on our Thursday mini-break podcast. Andrew Golub, Mark Aerosmith, the team at Aerobar, uh, along with a fantastic slate of guests, people like Michael Russell and. You know, uh, Jay Berger, Bjorn Fratangelo Malavia Washington, Lauren Embry. I can go on and on and on, but. We're so grateful for their continued support, obviously the opportunity to get to do those things, so highly recommend all of you go to Aerobar.com, give them your support, use that promo code CRACKED15 as well, you'll get 15% off your order, and again, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, that's what we do here at Cracked Rackets, but what else do we do here at Cracked Rackets? We podcast quite a bit, and that's what all of you came to this crack Interviews to here, so without further ado, let's get to my conversation with the Denison Men's tennis head coach, Dave Schilling. Joining us on the podcast today is a man whose life has been dedicated to growing and bettering the game of college tennis. Let's start out with his playing career, where he was a standout for the Denison men's tennis team. A guy who was actually named to the NCAC's tenth anniversary all-time men's tennis team. He then served as an assistant coach at Denison and the College of Wooster before taking over the job as the Kenyon men's tennis head coach. Of course, his latest job, uh, his latest two jobs, I should say is he followed uh his friend ty tucker to ohio state where he served as the volunteer assistant for more than 20 years he then went back to denison where he now serves as the head coach of the men's tennis team a man i have been chasing for an interview for far too long and i'm so happy to get him on the show today coach dave schilling welcome to the show it is a pleasure to have you
1: well thank you for having me i'm uh excited to be here and um you know, as usual, you've done incredible research to dig up some of those nuggets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, believe me, we're going to talk a lot about why you didn't go to the College of Wooster to go play for your dad. That will be a solid five-minute segment. uh,
1: Finding all that kind of information just shows how good you are at your job because uh, it's easy to dig up the stuff on on Ty Tucker's playing career. Not as as easy for, for me. Well,
0: I, I I agree with you there, baby. But I will say my first question to you, and this is probably the most important question I will ask. Twenty-one years at Ohio State. I imagine, you know, when you first applied for the job, whatever you first took the job, they said, okay, can you send us a photo for the website? You never wanted to send them a second photo and be like, hey, by the way, this is what I look like now.
1: No, I've I've been uh, <laughs> really good at at avoiding the photos for for many years. I avoided them at Kenyon. I avoided them at. Uh, Ohio State and we had nothing at at, uh, at Denison for, for the press release so I, I worked very hard at, at keeping a low profile on that
0: front <laughs> well I feel like you don't need to again we've gotten the chance to meet in person I, I feel like you know Silver Fox you've aged well uh, oh well, so there you, you go. know yeah maybe you know for the updated eventually they'll have to throw a photo on there but as I mentioned coach it's so great to get the opportunity to chat with you because you know you have been a part of college tennis now for 30 plus years you have seen the game develop you've seen it at different levels as well Uh, let's just start there with a broad question what is it about this you know the game of college tennis in particular that has appealed to you for so long
1: yeah to to me it's really the best form of tennis and it, and it's not really even close. Um, you know, I could never really see myself working in um you know necessarily straight junior tennis development or pro tennis coaching. Uh, you know I, I think the team aspect of it is is what makes it so special. I grew up playing a variety of of team sports, primarily well, I played everything when I was younger, but primarily soccer. Um, And just love the the whole team aspect of it. And I think it's, you know, it's just so much more rewarding in in every way that, uh, you know, to me, I I tell kids at my summer camps all all summer long, it is is the best form of tennis out there. And and you won't really understand that until you get into college or get into a great high school, uh, you know, team situation.
0: No, I completely agree with you there. And I also feel like it's a sweet spot developmentally, right? Because a lot of these kids, uh, they'll have, they're playing college tennis. The foundations are are at least there. They may not be as strong as you'd like them to be, but they're at least there. And that's got to help from a communication standpoint as well, right?
1: Yeah, no, it does. And, and uh, but there are a lot of challenges on that front. A lot of these kids, uh, especially the best kids in the world is that, you know, as they're coming into college tennis at division one, um, They are, you know, they might not have played team setting or team tennis. And so they're not used to that setting and they're not used to, you know, kind of all the banter on the court or, you know, making sacrifices uh, to maybe your own personal position, um, things like that. So, you know, a lot of tennis players come in without a a great deal of of team experience. So it's it's something that we always need to work on when they do get there. But, you know, those that do are, are definitely a step ahead.
0: Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about some of the players you've coached over the years because obviously you've seen so much talent, not only you know from your time in the D three ranks, but at Ohio State as well. But you know, let's go back a little bit further, talk about your history because obviously I know your dad, I believe, an English professor at the College of Wooster, but he also served as maybe the longest tenured uh, head coach, I think, in D three history, at least maybe at the time. I don't know if that's still the case. And you know, so you come from a, a you know background where your parents. were, were coaches or your dad was a coach? Was that something that influenced you as you finished up your playing career? That you know, coaching was something that always you found interesting?
1: You know, it, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, you know, a lot of you know, my dad played at SMU and and was a very decorated junior player, um, you know, uh, was a uh, history professor at the College of Worcester and kind of got into, um, tennis, um, coaching tennis later as kind of a secondary job. And um, I I was very late to the game. It was always my dad's sport. So I didn't really, you know, wasn't that involved. I didn't really start playing tennis till I was 15. So I got a late start on it. But kind of along that same line was my first exposure to tennis was team tennis. Um, So that, you know, my love of team sports, uh, you know, really molded nicely with being able to be around the College of Worcester team and, and, Uh, seeing the sport from, you know, from my initial, um, viewpoint as, as a team sport. So I think that really was important in shaping, you know, my, my perspective of, of the game getting into it so late, I I, kind of always saw it as a team sport.
0: Yeah, no, and that is uh something I think is a blessing, certainly. And it's funny you complimented my research. I didn't read I was one word short, I have he's the Robert Critchfield Professor of English and then the next word literally says English history. And yeah, so, you know, you I stopped my reading <laughs> a little bit short. Apologies for that and you know, from there I guess the, the natural follow up, did he just not recruit you? He said, You know what, I don't think you're Wooster material, but you'll be great at denison.
1: No, no, he he did recruit me and he was a little bit disappointed that I went to their their main rival. But uh, we we both felt for the, you know, the sake of the relationship, uh, it was probably best that we we were on uh, opposite campuses with regard to, um, you know, just player development and things like that. I think probably it was hardest on my mother, you know, being torn between, you know, who to cheer for in the inevitable Denison Worcester, you know, conference (laughs) final every
0: year. Yeah, no, I'm sure she, like so many, whenever I have a conflict, I, I would have rooted for you to win individually, but then probably your dad to win the duel match. And it's like, that way everyone's happy. You know, it's like, right. right. yeah, if Dave wins... It- Coach wins, everyone wins. Um, But no, it's so interesting because, again, you you play D3 tennis, and I can only imagine what that must have been like. You know, 1980s D3 tennis set the scene for us because when you think D3 tennis now, you see these programs like Middlebury, like Kenyon, like Denison, like, you know, uh, Emery, Amherst. You can go across the D3, you know, CMS out west. These are all outstanding programs that could certainly compete at the D1 level. But what was D3 tennis like in the 80s in the 90s was that as prominent as maybe it is now
1: uh you know that's that's hard to tell there wasn't as much media around as as you know is apparent in in all facets of life so it's hard to tell how how good the level is my guess is division three tennis has never been better than it is now but there really weren't um you know there obviously were no tennis recruiting.nets or utrs to kind of measure exactly how close you know, a good division three team versus a good division one team was, I mean, you know, I was competing when, when um, players like Tim and Corwin were, were at Kalamazoo, um, you know, and Tim and went on to, to have a good pro career. I think, you know, I think he might've lost to, to Michael Stiek, uh, seven, six in the third in a, in a future or a challenger level tournament back then it was called a satellite uh, maybe a handful of months before Steak won Wimbledon. So you know, and I know he had a series of wins. He he beat a bunch of Big Ten teams. And, you know, Kalamazoo from time to time would rise up and beat a, a Big Ten team as they were, you know, probably the top of Division three for, for much of my four years in, in college. So, you know, but it, 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 I think it's much more measurable now to to kind of see how much talent is there. I, I think there was between six and eight five stars that signed in Division three um this past year, 45-plus four stars. So I think, you know, it probably is as good now as it's ever been. But, uh, you know, we 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 didn't really know how good it was back then. A whole lot less attention. No no good podcasts like yours or or, or <laughs> you know, good websites like Colette's or or no Bobby Knights of the world to, to mm-hmm. follow along.
0: No, certainly. And the D3 bloggers themselves, as I'm sure you'll start to learn, they're exceptional. You know, they are might be the best college tennis coverage in the business. Um, and I guess to, a little bit of a tangent off this, and since it's your first appearance on the podcast, get ready for a couple of these tangents, but do you think I mean, because you're kind of living in your own world, I imagine, back then. Sure, you're worried what Kenyon's doing, what Wooster's doing. I might doing, be living in like... my
1: own world right now. <laughs> <It> <laughs> you and me both, my like friend.
0: It. Yeah. yeah, you and me both, my friend. But was it Does college tennis, it's more enjoyable now when you get this breadth of coverage, right? When you can figure out what Claremont Mudd Scripps is doing at the same time as, you know, what Emory and Amherst are doing in the South.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, um, as you and I were discussing, I I don't think there's ever been more media coverage. And and that's great. I mean, it's exciting. You know, the message boards and uh, the blogs and, and, you know, college tennis Twitter. um, You really get a sense of what's going on all around the country. And you, you get to know you know, the programs and the players and the coaches and the personalities. And so, yeah, no, that, that's incredibly rewarding. I think at all levels, like you said, I've, I've heard great things about the, the coverage at Division 3, um, and I know how good the, the coverage at Division 1 has been.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think college tennis is a sport that the coverage continues to get better and better. And you mentioned there's a college tennis Twitter community. There absolutely is. But I think the broader uh, tennis Twitter community starts to find out about college tennis now. And particularly, you see people uh, finding appeal in these team events such as Labor Cup, Davis Cup, Fed Cup, uh, even World Team Tennis now. And it's like, well, you know, college tennis goes nine months of the year, everyone. Like this is something (laughs) you can see on a week by week, you know, day by day basis elsewhere as well Um, and so I I agree with you I think as college tennis in general receives more coverage that will be a net benefit for so many uh, programs across the country and of course given what everyone's going through right now some college tennis programs are seeing tough times I want to save that conversation for a little bit later uh, and I want to get back to again your career because before Ohio State and we'll talk about Ohio State uh, you served as a coach at the D3 level an assistant at Wooster an assistant at Denison uh, and then you take over the Kenya. Kenyon men's tennis job and I'm curious for you again making that jump into D3 tennis into being a head coach uh, what went into that decision and did it hurt at all to go to a rival school or at that point is it just find the job and take it
1: yeah you know it it was a little bit strange because Denison and Kenyon are are huge rivals and um, but I was so anxious to be a head coach and and I felt like I was ready Um, so you know it, it and it's easy to kind of change, change alliances. Like, you know, we'll get you to be an Ohio state fan one of these days, you know, (laughs) if we just, we just haven't pushed the right buttons yet, but, um, you know, it it is, uh, it's interesting, you know, you get so connected with, with the communities that you're in. It's easy to kind of jump around a little bit with, with those loyalties. And, and, you know, Kenyon has so many great attributes about it as a school or university and uh, as does Denison, as did Worcester and, um, yeah, it really hasn't, that part hasn't been as hard as I, uh, as you might think, at least for me. And and um, I, I will say that when I got um, the Denison job here this summer, I, I heard from a fair amount of my, my Kenyan alumni who, who were giving me uh, a, f- a few comments <laughs> about the dark side, so...
0: Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I will just say, and there's a specific coach whose name I'm not going to say, but he knows who he is, who whenever he calls me, he'll say, oh, you're just in Tucker's pocket. Like, you just love Ty Tucker. <laughs> and it's like, how can you say that? I, well, I guess my response is always, I'm in any coach's pocket who's willing to talk to me on the show. So, I, you know, my loyalties are very much up for grabs. I've already told oh, you. Well, there you go. Ro- yeah, I'm ready to rock the Denison Red wherever I go. Um, but, you know, the the reason I ask about your coaching experience is because we hear you know i we have the privilege at crack records of talking to so many either former college tennis players or young assistant coaches volunteers across the country who continue to you know look for that in to get that first full-time paying job because you know not every program can very you know help their volunteer assistant or they want that full-time assistant job to eventually work their way towards a head coaching job i guess would you have any advice for those out there uh, you know for people who are looking to get into the college tennis coaching ranks, is it as simple as look? If there's a volunteer job around the country, and this is what you're interested in, you take that job. You know, just get your foot in the door.
1: Yeah, if you can afford to do it, yeah, that would be certainly my my advice. I think the most important thing is to get to know as many people as you can. And uh, another thing that I always tell young coaches, and I encourage um, you know our players that have come out of Ohio State or my players that have come out of Kenyon. Um, you know, go work their camps in the summer, go, go get to know Peter Smith or go get to know Todd Dobler or get, you know, any of these David Roditi, any of the coaches that run big camps, Grant Chen, and and that also know a lot of coaches, because that's really how a lot of these um, relationships are are kind of formulated. You might not be able to afford um, going and spending a year as as a volunteer assistant, but but you might be able to afford to to take a week off from work and, and go get you know, go um, spend time with, with Ashley Fisher at the University of South Florida or, or you know, any of those sorts of, you know, Coach Satchery. Um, you know, I, I think those situations are, are invaluable. So, you know, not just the coach that you played for or maybe some of the other coaches in your conference, but you start to get uh, to know the, the entire tennis community.
0: Mm -hmm. no absolutely that's uh, 100% you talk to so many of these coaches and that's part of the fun for me getting to do these pods as I text these coaches afterward when we're bringing someone else on and I say hey tell me about Dave Schilling or hey tell me about Ashley Fisher and everyone's got stories about everything and you know that's what makes uh, some of this so much fun and you know I I guess sticking with that theme this is the time to segue so Ty comes to you it's 1999 he says Schills I've I've taken the Ohio State job because I feel like he'd be very direct. It's like Shills, I'm going to Ohio State. You're coming with me. How does that conversation work? You know, what was that appeal for you uh to go from being a head coach to, you know, going to be the volunteer assistant at a program like Ohio State?
1: Uh well, you know, I'm pretty sure I probably reached out to Ty first. Ty and I, had, I <laughs> known each other a little bit through through junior tennis and, and a mutual club that we both played at. Um but uh you know, Ty is such an incredible recruiter. Those conversations don't don't take too much arm twisting, and, and I was ready to, to take a look. I had had a few people that probably said, hey, you know, Ohio State has, you know, maybe not been as strong as some other programs, uh, you know, look into their background a little bit, but, you know, I went and met with Ty, and we met in the old uh, Ohio Stadium. Uh, we didn't even have offices at that point, and he was coming <laughs> on board as the as first-time head coach, and had been the assistant there for a couple of years and we kind of set out a plan of trying to get the best kids in Ohio and then find a couple international kids each year. And, and um, it, it really wasn't a tough sell at all. I, you know, I was living in Columbus and, and, you know, went to graduate school at Ohio state. So, you know, loved the university and, and had the utmost respect and still do for Ty and, and just knew that he was going to be successful in whatever he put his mind to. and, so uh yeah it was he and I and uh, a couple soccer coaches in an old uh an old beat down apartment <laughs> as our offices so that was some time ago but no, it, I, it I, didn't I... it didn't take a lot, a lot of arm twisting and and um Ty Ty usually has those those situations any concerns he can usually um uh, he can uh get you on board pretty quickly he he really is one of a kind when it comes to to recruiting in any capacity
0: yeah, no, there's no denying that. Um, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I'm going to pry this a little bit further because I can only imagine 21 years ago, you know, the the ferocity, the angst, I suppose. Angst might not be the right word, but just the passion he coaches with now. You know, that's, that's 20 years later. I can only imagine how, you know, energetic 1999 Ty Tucker is in that program and getting it off the ground. And I mean, any times you spend 20 years with anyone, that's a full-fledged marriage. You know, I'm sure early on you guys were... We're filing taxes together just for the financial benefit. <laughs> um, but, you know, 20 plus years with Coach Tucker, I guess, what goes into a relationship like that? And what, you know, how did that relationship ultimately help foster the Ohio State program we see now?
1: Yeah, no, it, it, it's funny. It, it, it really is. I mean, he and I joked about it, his, his wife and I joke about it. I think they had to be married probably, you know uh, probably married four or five years before they had spent more time in, in, uh, together than, than he and I had. So, <laughs> um, you know, we were both Ohio kids, both Ohio state, uh, fans kind of both grew up in the, the same era, had some similar references and, and, um, you know, reference points and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, he, he you know, his, his passion was, was contagious. Um, and, you know, we had a fair amount in common, to, to be honest with you. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're very different in, in a lot of ways. But we, we, we had some some touch points that were very similar and similar backgrounds. You know, he grew up in kind of small town, Ohio. I grew up in small town, Ohio. and um, But yeah, no, we, we've joked forever that it's it really is a marriage.
0: Yeah, no, and it was a marriage that was fruitful, obviously, given all of the success the program has had, and as you mentioned in those early years, Ohio State was not the program it is now, it hadn't won 14 straight Big Ten titles or whatever that number is, it hadn't had a 100-plus match home win streak in Columbus, all of these different things, and you sort of mentioned it there, this idea of recruiting Ohio first, and that happens to work in Ohio because, uh, you know, there's enough tennis talent that you can really begin to build, uh, an. in incredible roster. You look at guys over the years, the Chase Buchanans, the Cobalt brothers. Um, even before that, I think Cronagy is also from Ohio. You can kind of go on and on and on and take that back. Is there any recruit in your mind, any any sort of recruiting class that sort of kicked things off? Because you, you sort of look at back in time, you know, Steve Monarchy and Justin Cronagy and even the Ross Wilsons of the world. You know, that was really the the foundational class, right?
1: Yeah, I think really the, the one that, that kind of, you know, we won the conference, um, I think, before we uh, started that first year in 2000. Uh, Ohio State had lost 33 Big Ten matches in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and our first year, we we kind of uh, got things going in the right direction. I think we finished like 14 and 11. We qualified for the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. And by our, our second year, we had won the Big Ten. Um, we'd won the Big Ten conference beating, uh, you know, the Illinois team with, with the Stoltz and Delek and uh Wilsons and I think those guys were on that team. I might be a little ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> I know Michael Costa was, but you know, so we kinda jumped into the top twenty uh range right there in the second year. Um but we, we kinda did that with, with uh a hodgepodge of some of the kids that were left over, a couple new Ohio kids to, to that, uh, Phil Metz and Vince Ng um were were pivotal to that. But to me kind of the, the foundational class was was the the Ross Wilson um Jeremy Wertzman as a transfer Scott Green and Dennis Mertens from um from Belgium and we were able to, to bring in like you know the, the good Ohio kids and supplement them with with some kids from out of state but you know Jeremy Wertzman was was huge in getting the program um to the next level as was Ross Wilson and Scott Green and um and then, you know, following them was, was the Monarchy, Cognaco, Cronagy, Alairs And we just had a really good run, you know, Drew Eberly uh, of kids um, through that, that time frame that uh, kind of propelled us a little bit further. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I kind of remember a big change um, just in setting the culture as much as anything with, with Wilson, Green, Mertens, and, and Wurtzman.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you talk about recruiting Ohio and for people who aren't aware of this, you know, the four and a half scholarships for a men's tennis program, obviously, when you can get in-state kids, that certainly is going to help financially. But, you know, you talk about changing a culture at a program and getting these kids to buy in. And I know it's a little fluffy, but does it help when you have people who wanted to be Buckeyes their whole life, who just adored Ohio State, even if it's the football program at first, just they grew up in Ohio? Is that a real you know, benefit when you have people who come in wanting to be buckeyes, is that how you and Ty end up, you know, again, getting the culture to where you want it to be?
1: It, it really is. I mean, so many of these these uh kids, you know, um Justin Cronaughy when he was growing up, he wanted to be a buckeye, you know, Matt Alaire wanted to be a buckeye. Ross Wilson wanted to be a buckeye. So it, it gives you kind of a little bit of a competitive edge and and Ty was very good at recognizing that early and, and highlighting that and emphasizing it. And, um, you know, talking about the the importance of, of the block O and, and representing something bigger than, um, than yourself and, you know, and, and changing the culture through those sort of ideals, you know, every coaching, all the great coaches have a way of of finding a competitive advantage. And I I talked to, you know, some of those names we talked to, you know, played for me and, and Ty, and then went on to coaching like Jeremy Wertzman and Ross Wilson and Drew Everly, and Chris Klingeman. And, you know, one of the things I always talk to them about, and I, I think you and, and Ross might've been talking about it last week on, on the podcast was, was finding your kind of competitive advantage. You know, what, what do you have to sell at your university? One of the examples I always use, and you'll love this, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Bri- Brian Boland won at Indiana state and, uh. You know, you can't look at the limitations to the the job or the program that you have. You've gotta you've gotta kind of find out what makes your university special, and then work it at highlighting those. And and you know the, the the great coaches the the Ty Tuckers, the Brian Bolins, the Peter Smiths, the you know Manny Diaz's. They're all very successful at, at doing that sort of thing. And so I always come back to the you know Brian Boland wins at Indiana State. There there's opportunity for you to win it. Uh, you know. All types of different schools. But yeah, and Ty's incredibly sharp at picking up, you know, that a lot of these kids wanted to be Buckeyes and that was very important and, and getting them to, to really um, value the Block O
0: Mm-hmm. No, and clearly, again, it started to work because, as you mentioned, you know, those early years, you guys start to improve the program, and then by 2006, 2007, uh, you're taking off, you're putting up routinely, you know, 30-2, and 35-2 seasons, and you just see this program make a jump, and, you know, again, as someone who's invested in the program since the beginning, to see that sort of jump, to see the players take off... Uh, I guess, how do the pressures change when you go from building a program to being at the top of, you know, the rankings list?
1: Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's pressures, but it's, there are certainly more matches that are a sense of relief than, than you come off feeling, you know, incredibly high. I mean, I, I just think, sure. you know, it is a lot of the, the, the matches you get in the competition so good, you, you can't overlook anybody and, and you know uh I, I think that's something that tennis twitter or the the blogs might not really understand you you see some of these predictions and you don't realize how good every team is and and it's not just you know kind of lip service it's really true if you don't you know cross your t's and dot your i's um you know upsets are very possible especially with this with the new scoring system
0: yeah no have
1: can we still call it the new
0: scoring system? I was going to say, I, I think it's settled on. The settled on scoring yeah, okay. system. Yeah, there you go. No, for sure. Yeah, no, no, that, that upset the parody is part of what makes things so fun. But also, I mean, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because, you know, obviously for us historians of college tennis, it used to be two out of three set matches in doubles, right, on top right, of the yeah. singles. And these dual matches, in theory, could have gone for five hours. I feel like by necessity, the sport almost had to change. Is that fair?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's, in my personal opinion, it's changed for the better. I think Mm that the the game has never been more exciting. I mean, there was a few years back that, um, oh, you know, all the years kind of run together. But, uh, you know, North Carolina came up to to Notre Dame and North Carolina had won the national indoors, was number one in the country. And Notre Dame had had a series of injuries and, you know, and they pulled the upset. They were maybe 45 in the country and they beat number one. And I'm not sure that would have happened 20 years ago. So it's, it's great for the sport and, um, you know, change is hard. I think, you know, Ty's talked about on, on some of your podcasts with him that he's not big for change. Um, but I, I think the ITA and the coaches, you know, very, uh, very shrewd in, in making some of these changes.
0: Yeah, no, that's why he had you all of those years, right? He'd be like, Shills, you adapt. I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could I hear him saying it for sure. But, no, I mean, it, it's also funny because we talk about building this program. I feel like it is notable how many you know players you had on your rosters who have become coaches, the Ross Wilsons of the world, obviously. Kronagi, the assistant coach there, but you mentioned Klingerman. You can look at Todd Wojtkowski, uh, who's at Case Western now. And there do just seem to be this plethora of, I guess, for or future coaches who have come through the Ohio state program. Is there a reason for that? You know, it, it, I mean, sure. If you play tennis, I guess you're more likely to, or you are more susceptible to becoming a professional tennis coach, particularly if you play it at a high level. But why do you think so many guys who have come through this Ohio state program are now spearheading programs of their own?
1: Yeah, well, we, we lock them in the varsity tennis center and don't let them get exposed <laughs> to anything else. So <laughs> they, they really don't know any better. Um, <laughs> No, but seriously, I think it, it, it is um, – I think there's so much passion that, that you know, myself and Ty and, and Justin Cronoggy now or, or, you know, back before it might have been Chris Garner or Dave Getz, the, uh, Jim Latta that coached with us, Jeremy Wirtzman. I, I think there's just so much passion around the program and and, and the kids are so invested in the tennis and, and the highs are, are so high that I think it's just, you know, they, they kind of get the bug like this is this is a great way to – to spend, you know, your career. Um, so, you know, I'd like to think that it, it becomes such a special experience while they're, you know, on campus um, that, you know, they, they see this as a, as a good path for their life. So, um, you know, I, I kind of think it's just, you know, they're around people that are passionate for the sport, that take it seriously. And um, some of that, that rubs off on them and and that they've got a passion for it and, and that they can pass that on and, and mentor the next, next generation of players coming through and yeah there. i mean the the guys that have come through ohio state have gone on uh to coaching todd Wilkowski, at the case i mean i'm not sure anybody's done a better job than than him and and um you know there's just there you know justin cronog going to be the next great head coach and jeremy wordsman and ross wilson you know just done fabulous jobs i hate to even go down this road because you always leave people off ty shop down at um South Carolina with the women's team. I mean, there are just so many of them that have come through the program. Yeah
0: no absolutely and you know I always say every joke comes from a place of truth uh, locking them in the tennis center <laughs> definitely from a place of truth uh, you know yeah. I, uh, I could understand that completely and you know again I, I, I'm sorry to dwell on these Ohio State because of course I want to talk about your t- uh, what you have planned for the Denison men's tennis team why you ended up taking that job but I have to linger just a little bit longer to pry on some of these questions sure. go through these yeah. moments I think some of them you're going to like some of them you're not going to like as much <laughs> uh, let's start with, you know, 2009 uh, because that's year the year, obviously, you guys make your first NCAA championship. That team, an incredible collection of talent on that 09 team. I think you start to look at some of the names. I believe Kronagi still on the team at that point, and you yeah. look at it. Uh, I think Monarchy still on the team. Konyeko still on the team. Uh, you have a young Chase Buchanan on the team. Oh my god, you look at some of this roster talent now. It's just absurd. Um, you know, that season for you guys, making that final uh you know again this is something we talked about amongst us it's not something I think people know I feel like that your team that year was the favorite entering NCAAs you guys were the best team certainly on paper um what do you remember about that season and then obviously that final against USC what I don't think people realize is you know the circumstances it wasn't a fully healthy roster at that point
1: well yeah I mean we we were awfully good that you know arguably was our, our best team um we we you know when you're putting chase buchanan down at, at you know who later that summer you know finaled the u.s open and won kalamazoo and when you've got him down at six you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself um but you know you know that was no sludge team with with stevie johnson and robert farah and dennis Wynne and um you know they uh you know the poldmas and um kecky mm-hmm. matt kecky and uh I just uh that was no slouch team either but you know what i remember from that year is is it just everything happened so quickly from in the last two days uh we played ucla um in the uh semifinals and it was um it was 3-3 and came down to Kronogi who was i, I believe was cramping yeah no he was definitely cramping it was 3-3 and i think he won a uh uh, tiebreaker to propel us to the finals and then had to get an IV after the match. So there was all this chaos after the match with getting um, Justin an IV and Matt Allaire had rolled his ankle and, and was on crutches and, um, uh, you know, and then you're, you're whisked off to do interviews and, and you've got to ice and you've got to feed the kids. And the turnaround was, you know, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe we got done at four and we played at noon the next day. Uh, I just remember it going by so quickly, uh, and you know, it was a blur. A blur. There wasn't a lot of time to um, to, to prepare for that next match, and and uh, and again, we knew we were playing a great team, and and um, you know, the, the the better team that day definitely um, propelled. And you know, I was happy for for Peter Smith and Brett Macy at that point, who had had you know Peter had an incredible career up to that point, but had never kind of gotten that last last piece so (laughs) we were there for him (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. No, of course that it was obviously a great win. Uh and you know, that USC team goes on to win three more titles. So yeah, as you mentioned, that team had plenty of talent as, as you mentioned. But you know, you you start to talk about that. Peter Smith gets his title, then the next guy was Boland and eventually in twenty uh thirteen I believe Boland gets his first title, uh, with that Jeremy Jenkins team. And now everyone looks at Ty Tucker and of course I have to imagine for you guys, you know, one of the bright moments for the Ohio State program, I think it was twenty 20- 2015, uh, which was the year when they first instituted the no scoring, the format at five ball. Ty got mad at me when I made that point and said, of course, <laughs> under those circumstances, you guys won your first national title. I said, oh, of course, the Wolverine puts an asterisk next to it. That's not what I'm doing. I'm uh, just simply saying that was the reality of it. Uh, for you guys to get that national title, how special a moment was that for the program?
1: Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I, you know, it, 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 uh, you know, in Houston, we had lost four starters from the previous year's team. I think it was 2014 if I'm correct. Um, Mm -hmm. but we had, we had lost four, um, four starters from last year's team and, and, you know, weren't feeling great going into the tournament. And we had just, you know, a lot of inexperienced players, um, you know, guys that were maybe not as highly recruited like a Kevin Metka, really kind of step up big and, you know, they were playing the, the Ty Kwiatkowskis and, uh, UVA in the, in the semis. And and then, uh, I believe we beat USC in the finals. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was incredible feeling. It was, you know, it, it definitely was a, you know, kind of a program changer to, to get that, that, um, first national indoor title.
0: Yeah, and you sort of mentioned it, the Kevin Metkas of the world, the Peter Cobelt, the Hunter, I mean, Peter Cobalt obviously goes on to do incredible things in college, but you know, the Hunter Tuberts of the world, and you can go on and on and on, there's lists of just these guys who aren't the highly touted recruits, who aren't the the blue chips who are going to Virginia, USC, UCLA, and yet you're always seeing these Ohio State teams, and not to say you guys don't get your share of blue chip recruits, because certainly you did, Um, but again, what goes into the development? What goes into just getting these players to buy in so that a Kevin Metka can turn around and beat a Ty Kwiatkowski in a national semifinal tiebreaker to send his team to the finals?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, one of the things, you know, that excited me about going on to, to Dennison is to try to kind of take some of the things that I've learned, you know, learned yeah. from Ty and learned from Justin Kronoggi and learned from Jim Latta and David Getz and all the coaches, Chris Garner, all the coaches I've been around at Ohio state and elsewhere. And, and, you know, coming back to Ty, one of the things that, that I, you know, that you know I've learned from him is just, you can never underestimate a kid's heart. And if they've got enough heart and they've got enough passion for the sport and are willing to do the things that can overcome a lot. And, you know, and Kevin Mech is a perfect example of what you were talking about, a local kid. I think the only other school in the country recruiting him was, um, Case Western Reserve, a Division three school. He might have been a two-star recruit, if that. Uh, but Ty saw something. And, you know, a running joke between Ty and I is, you know, I'm constantly being dismissive right away saying, oh, that guy will never play here. That guy will never play here. <laughs> and it just kind of became my role to say that. And, uh, you know, but Ty sees something in him. He sees size. He sees a lefty game. He, he had him play an unconventional style of play. And and, um, and, and that's a kid that just would, would run through a wall for Ohio State. And, and um you know and and i think if you look at some of the, the the kids that really got the most out of their talent while at ohio state were some of these ohio kids the cobelts and and um you know the Metcas and and kids that just love you know chris diaz just love being a buckeye
0: no, I was going to say, I could do a full podcast on Chris Diaz and his career because uh, it, it's a fascinating one to me for sure. I mean, talk about a guy who just never quit, who got every, you know, it goes from Diaz and then he passed the, the ship on to Kyle Seelig, who now accepts that role. Uh, and I'm sure there will be another one as well. And, you know, again, well, you know, some, I like those little guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, you definitely have a type. It's quite clear over the you years. Know, P- and, Peter, you know,
1: anybody can win at 6'6 with a bomb like Peter Cobalt. You know, just little guys that have to grind away.
0: No, absolutely. And, um, you know, talking about some of those big guys you've seen over the years, you, you know, in terms of NCAA titles, I believe the first NCAA individual title for you guys, and, you know, you, you came close a couple of times. I know in 08, it's a crazy stat. You had three players in the men's singles round of 16 at NCA's: Monarchy, Koneko, and Kronagi. Uh, and then, you know, you kind of move on from there. Chase Buchanan obviously uh, has an exceptional run. And then Blaz Rola joins the program. And Blaz and Chase go on to win the. The NCAA title together in 2012 but correct me if I'm wrong here I believe in 2011 2012 they were not playing together during the regular season I feel like that's a crazy that that just screams Ty Tucker
1: uh Roland and Buchanan you mean
0: yeah did they not play together that year I think they did not. I, I know in 11 they, they got they split won, up for They won. Sure. They won
1: three national. Two, they're the only team ever to win three national championships in the same year. They won the indoors, the All-Americans. You you might be right. They might have um I told you I'm terrible at remembering things like that. <laughs> you know, um uh you might be right. He uh Roller might have been playing with Kevin Metka and um mm-hmm. I I don't know. You you probably you probably are, yeah. are more research than I am on that.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it's just, to me, that's like, that's just typical Ty Tucker. It's just, that's the sort of thing he does. And I guess, you know, again, in your relationship with him, it's 21 years. At what point is it year six, year seven, when you're like, hey, I have this funky doubles format where I'm going to put a player behind the server and we're going to try that. Is he like, get out of here? He's like, we're not doing that. You know, at what point can you guys start, you know, we've seen so much success, but where does the comfort come where you can get experimental? with things like that
1: um well I was probably too stupid to realize that you know how much risk I I was taking (laughs) you know a lot of it worked at division three so I just assumed it would work at division one and we actually did it in, in our very first year I remember we we did some crazy things with Chris Porter and and uh Phil Metz um Phil Metz was was a good uh incredible player from um from cleveland ohio and he he had a world-class lob so we we would literally build doubles you know i think they were playing three doubles and we would just build around his lob we'd get guys to come in close and so you know just try to find any um level but you know at that point i was probably fast enough that i could run away from ty if i had to um <laughs> but uh, no i don't know he was always you know he always was very good about you know trying new things and and uh being creative and, and, you know, there, there are few people that want to win, um, as much as, as Ty does. So, you know, if, if you can make a compelling case, that this gives us the best, um, chance to win, it it, it was really much, it's always been much harder to convince the the kids to do the crazy things because, you know, they, they come in and they, they've been at the very highest level of, you know, ITF junior tennis and, they don't feel like uh, when you're trying to convince them that they shouldn't play like the Brian brothers, they, they kind of take it as an insult. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's always been harder to, to get the, the players on board.
0: Yeah. Now who is the person who goes to Torpagard and says, dude, you got to change the forehand.
1: I think Kronogi did. I think Kronogi just changed his grip in, in, uh, in a practice and um, you know, and, and Torp is pretty, um, you know, Torp is a student of the game and would no, you know, no, not really. You would think he is because he's, he's got incredible will on the court, but he's pretty open to coaching to, to be honest with you. And, and, um, you know, I think it was probably harder to get him to to serve and stay back in doubles than it was to to change his forehand, but he (laughs) he picked it up pretty quickly. And, uh, Crow did a huge, you know, and, and I always felt his forehand was better than, than people ever gave him credit. I think he, he came in with the mindset that, um, You know his backhand was better, but it's it's hard at the top of the you know Division One or pro tennis to build around a a backhand. You know you've got to have a forehand as a weapon. Um, So yeah, Torp wasn't wasn't the hardest sell. There were a few guys that were a little bit more stubborn than him through the years.
0: No, I, I can only imagine. And I will continue to say it, it's you can't say it because the 2010s belong to Steve Johnson, but the best match I have ever seen in person, college tennis wise, quarterfinals 2018. You're playing Mississippi State three all, and it comes down to Torp versus Nuno, who are arguably two of the five best players to come through men's college tennis throughout the 2010s. And, you know, Torp ends up taking that match. And as you mentioned, it was almost sheer will uh, at that point. And, you know, that's a season where you guys end up making. Uh, the NCAA final. I believe Torp that year makes the finals in doubles with Martin Joyce uh, in singles. I'm sure he did well in NCAs as well. I think he made quarterfinals before losing to Petros, um, who ended up winning that year, obviously. All right, a couple of rapid fires and then we're on to Denison, I swear. Uh, you know, I, I asked you this in person. I'm going to try and get you to say it on the mic as well. <laughs> Torpergard, Rola, and we'll throw Kronagi in that list as well. Or maybe Koneko, who you, as someone from that 2007 to 11 range.
1: You um, know, as I, I was telling you, we always play this game, you know, the, the starting lineup, or, or we'll do other, you know, other things, the Mount Rushmore of forehands or, <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever. You know, we spent a lot of time together. You've you got time for, for silly, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I, I'm just going to say you can't go wrong with, with either of those. I mean, you know, uh, I think you asked me Roller or, or Torpegard, and I probably gave yeah. you a straight answer that I won't give you on on, on the mic. <laughs> but uh, but again, if you give me either one, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm yeah. you know, Tor, I, I will say the the Mississippi State match that you referenced. There was nobody that we would have rather had in that situation. I mean, Torp was in that that clinching tight match against you know world class players so many times, and. And I, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember him ever really letting us down there. I mean, he's he just such a strong willed kid. Um, you know, with there, he played in an all Americans and I, I don't even remember how he did it. He might've finaled it or semi it. And he literally had no skin on the bottom of his feet, you know, from blister so bad. And, uh, uh, the, the heart on that, that kid is ju- just unreal. But on the flip side, you know, there's nobody in it We've ever had in our program, like Boz Rola, who, who was a pro from the day that, you know, they stepped on campus, just did everything right. Took his diet uh, seriously, took his sleep schedule seriously, you know, stretched before and after matches, cold baths, you know, whatever he had to do, he got stretched before matches. Uh, you know, he came in uh, like a, a grown adult. Um, so again, you, you've given me two pretty good op- options right there. Yeah, and there's no, probably I, probably five guys that are interchangeable. I'm not sure you're gonna bet against Justin Cronaughy in any sort of competition. Um well,
0: I know, unless he's playing Andrew Fenty, a person I would have never bet against was 2019 JJ Wolf. And you know, just to kind of switch gears here, to see JJ have the success he's had uh, on the pro tour so early in his career, to see him go from you know uh, a guy who was playing two, three singles to then being the best player in college tennis, to now being a top 150 pro in the world already, does that jump? Did that jump surprise you at all to see him ascend his level, rise that quickly?
1: I don't think so. I think, you know, I think for pure talent um, standpoint and just, you know, he he built like a mustang. I mean, he's just strong, huge legs, incredible racket speed. Uh, You know, I don't think that that really surprised me. Once everybody kind of felt he was going to put it together. And when he did put it together, I'm not sure there was ever a higher level of of tennis being played than than what he played that that year. Um, I mean, at Ohio State, I mean, obviously, every program's got some incredible. Uh, history, But, uh, uh, you know, in, in our building, I'm not sure anybody ever hit the ball better than he did. He's just so strong and, and, you know, and it shows what confidence will do. You know, he he had a good fall and got the confidence going and then it just took off from there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you could make a case that that was the greatest season, you know.
0: Yeah, no. No, I, I put him right up there with two guys who I think are the best male college tennis players of the 21st century, non-Ohio State edition, so maybe you'll give me a straight answer. Stevie J. or Somdev DeVarman? You can have one play and one singles for you. Who do you pick?
1: Man, I'm, I just never saw Stevie lose, so I, I'm going to have to, you know. <laughs> and and we were exposed to him probably more than we were Somdev. I mean, again, it's a situation you're not going to lose, but but there's no way I'm, I'm betting against Stevie Johnson. He, he He's the best that I've seen in, in the time that I've been at... at um, Ohio State
0: no, absolutely. I mean, he is sensational. And, you know, of all the guys we talked about, you, you mentioned it. I knew, you know, Blaz Roller, you just kept waiting for him to turn pro because you're like, this guy's going to crack the top 100. And Yeah, it's
1: funny. We, had... we weren't really waiting for him to turn pro. It's funny you
0: <laughs> that. Well, you know, again, there's my Wolverine-dom showing. <laughs> right, uh, I like, right. like, yeah. I don't need to watch him beat Alex Patron any more times than I already have. I'm like, I'm good on that matchup for the eternity. But, you know, you talk about guys like that, and obviously the more notable ones are the Isners, the Andersons, the Johnsons, but so many players we've seen go from the college tennis ranks, and whether they're ascending the doubles rankings, whether they're working their way up the challengers, uh, it, it seems. I don't, I don't know. An argument I've heard is that it's very cyclical. Is that you know the the amount of talent in college tennis again it comes in waves, and so to say is college tennis a perfect developmental path for the pro circuit? It's really hard to judge in any specific moment. Um, but in your opinion, you know, during your time in college tennis uh how has you know is it still do you think a a pathway that players can take to ultimately developing their games and working towards becoming professional tennis players
1: oh absolutely i think you're insane if you're a top top level junior not to take advantage of college tennis i mean you know there's the argument about the the shorter sets being detrimental but but i would counter that as you know ty and crow will (laughs) tell you i always do that um (laughs) you get more pressure situations. You know, you learn in, in what is pro tennis. It's 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 converting on on the pressure moments. And so, you know, I just think you're you're getting a ton of pressure moments, pressure sets, you know, you've got other people relying on you. Um, you know, and, and the thing that goes unnoticed is, you know, these kids are getting about a hundred thousand dollars being spent on their games. When you factor in, you know, equipment and coaches salaries and all these sort of things. You know, unless you're, you know, a generational talent that can turn pro at 18 when the average, you know, m- man in the top 100 is, is it still 29 years old? I mean, I know it was a, a few years ago. I think it's um,
0: like 28.6 right now. Yeah.
1: Okay. So,
0: yeah. So, I mean, you're, you'd you be
1: insane not to take advantage of it. The, the coaching is, is so good. The the training, you know, the, the, the you know, the th- physical therapy that you get, the training staffs. Um, and just the amount of travel and, and, you know, more and more of the, the, uh, the schedule is, is being tied into, to to sending kids off to, to challengers if that's their level and, and futures. And so, yeah, I I think, you know, for 99.8% of the, uh, of junior tennis players, it's it's a, a fabulous option.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. And even again, for those who, let's say you're the blue chip recruit. Let's say you're the guy who thinks it's a sure thing. Let's say you get to college and you realize, oh man, I, you know, I always thought maybe I wanted to be pre-med and I fall in love with my science courses. You have that option available to you as well. It just keeps every door open. So, you know, I'm not going to come as a surprise to any of our listeners. I'll continue to be a proponent of college tennis as a pathway to the pros. Uh, I will also continue to be a proponent of all levels of college tennis. Tennis, as are you, and that's how we work in the segue. To you know, you have often said, and I, you know, I could let you say it on the podcast bef- uh, as well, but you know, you were never going to leave Ohio State unless one job came open because you know what you and Ty were doing there and just the program you had built, dedicating as much time and you know, emotion to the program as you had. Why leave? And then the Denison job comes open. So, for our listeners at home, again, can you explain why the Denison job was such a valuable opportunity for you? Why ultimately this was the job that you know you might have been searching for for so long?
1: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's just such a special place. It has a special place in my heart. I mean, even before I, I went there, um, you know, when, when my father was coaching and, and I would go with him on a road trip. Um, to Denison it's just you know it was a beautiful campus and I was always taken by it and and I never thought I'd go there you know I, I went on a junior uh summer of my junior year I probably went to 25 schools visiting and my, you know to go out there I did a practice interview at Denison just so I would have you know know how to do an interview in an admissions office and and uh, once I started going out to all these schools that I thought I'd go to like UVM or Dartmouth or you know, uh, some of these other schools, then it, it, uh, I just kept coming back to, well, boy, I like Denison better. I like Denison better. So it, it always had a special place in my heart. And then, you know, as, as a, as a coach and, and someone who's competitive, you start looking at, um, you know, what are, you know, like I was saying with Brian Boland, what are the competitive advantages and, you know, what can you, can you win at the highest level at, at Denison? And so that was really, when I started the interview process, that was the question I had in mind. You know, I, I become very accustomed to, to, you know, having success in in coaching from a team standpoint that I wanted to make sure that that opportunity was going to be afforded to me. And, and unfortunately, it's not always the case um, at any level, you know. Um, so, you know, as I got to know more about the school and seeing the senior leadership and then you know just the facilities i mean we have four indoor courts which you don't see it at division 3 a lot we have 12 outdoor courts six of them lighted you know so we have first you know first class facilities you know great budgets we have you know a nike contract which you never see in division 3 so there were just all these these factors and an incredible university that is you know become one of the the fastest growing universities i think applications have been up you know 5 years in a row which means um, you know, acceptance rate is going down, which is sounds bad, but it's actually very good. It makes you, you know, you're more selective, which means your your academic profile going on. So just the the combination of being, you know, a world class uh, liberal arts institution coupled with a commitment to athletics. The swim team at Denison, I think, has won six of the last ten or twelve national championships uh, in men's and women's swimming. So you know, winning at the highest level is a reality, and they've they've um, I think they've won the, the all sports trophy in the North Coast Athletic Conference, maybe 19 out of the last 25 or, or 30 years, something like that. So there's there's a great deal of success uh, athletically. And and, um, you know, we will get smart kids there. So, um, you know, there's there's talent on on campus. Coach Burling, who was there before me, had done an incredible job in a 30 year career with over 700 wins. Um, you know, I, I, 700 wins is, is pretty impressive and it's, it's one that I obviously will never get to, but, um, (laughs) you know, it is, uh, it's not an easy task. So, you know, there were just a lot of, lot of things. I think it's, to me, it's, it's one of the most special places in, in the world. You know, it's in a small town, uh, called Granville, Ohio, uh, 25 minutes from, from downtown Columbus, but you, you feel like you're in, um, you feel like you're in uh, New England. It's just a little little New England town in the middle of Ohio. Um, but like I said, twenty five. You know, I live in Columbus. It's a twenty five minute commute. So.
0: Yeah, no, best of both worlds. I completely agree with you, and uh, you know that our, one of our newest employees, I should say, at Crack Rackets, Jamie McDonald, class of 18 at Denison, one of, uh, someone who also went to Denison who played class of 19, a kid by the name of Blake Burstein, was on my high school team, and so I remember I think it was his freshman year uh, that I went down to go watch one of his matches. Oh, you've been there Okay, great. Oh, yeah. I have been to Granville. We went out on the town. It was delightful. We'll save those stories for a different time, um, but it <laughs> Was actually it was the night of the conor mcgregor john bones jones fight. Oh, yeah. I, I just i will always remember that distinctly uh because that was the you know the first in our activities on the night was watching that fight um, but yeah as you mentioned the, the pools uh just i mean the denison athletic facilities in general obviously the pools given the success of the program are the most prominently placed but it's a gorgeous athletic campus it's a gorgeous facility and yeah i, I can completely see the appeal and again to uh, to ask you to repeat these stats when we were talking beforehand d3 tennis is on the rise
1: oh yeah i you know like i said i, I don't we can't measure how it was back when i was there you know all us old timers like to think oh back in my day you know but <laughs> I, I i would be pretty confident saying it's probably never been stronger i think you know i think there was a top 25 recruit a few years ago um that signed at amherst with with coach dobler um so you know you just see more and more top 25 top 50 top 75 um type of players ending up in division three and it's it's the the coaching is is first rate you know the facilities like in division one are getting better and better and and the the you know um the academic reputations are just they're they're world class They, they they can be matched up with just about any 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 type of institution of higher education in the world
0: Mm-hmm. What was it? it was like 40 some four star recruit. I don't remember. the. Exact I think numbers. so. I think
1: it was like, you know, when I looked, um, you know, the last few years, it's between five and eight five star recruits and like 45, 46 four star recruits. Um, so, you know, some of the best, best junior players in the United States. And, you know, and, and that doesn't include the international kids you know, we've got, uh, I think, five kids on our roster right now that have spent most of this year in the, the 11 to 12 UTR range. Um, so that's, you know, that's a pretty good starting point for us. And, um, you look at, you know, you just look at some of those recruiting classes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe I read last night and you probably would know because I'm sure it was Parsa that was breaking the news, but didn't one of UVA's Christian uh, players Alshon just transferred yeah, to Chicago. Yeah. To Chicago. So, you know, um, you know, that, that is, uh, it, that would have probably, um, you, you know, you'd probably sh- shake your head or scratch your head at that a, a few years back. But I, I think it's uh, more and more of these kids are really seeing the, the value in, in that uh, the Division three proposition.
0: No, absolutely. And for you, and, and you know, it'll be nice because uh the doubles will be valued that much more. So you you know, all the double sets, I don't, don't have to tell you this, but for our listeners, uh, each of the doubles flights are scored on their own. It's nine total points in D three, not the seven that we play in D one. Um, and I feel like that's gotta be exciting for you as well. Oh, how you know weird I love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how weird is it for you to take over a program in the midst of a global pandemic, given the circumstances going on right now, so much uncertainty surrounding college athletics even just returning to campus in general how has adjusting to those circumstances uh been how big of a factor has that been in your first few months on the job
1: well it's been strange because i've been on the job for a couple um months i haven't met my direct report i haven't met you know i haven't met really (laughs) too many people at the uh at the university in person you know, I, I think I was telling you before the call started, you know, I'm doing a, a zoom interview with two day. Yeah. It was a two day interview or maybe it was one day interview. And, and, but it was a full day and you know, my dog has to go out in the middle of the interview. So I'm picking up my laptop and walking through my house. And of course I'm on the, the portion of the interview with the athletic director. Um, so she's like, well, I enjoyed that, uh, the tour of your house. So, you know, there's some, some surreal moments, uh, for sure. And, and you know, I haven't been able to to really meet any of the players face to face, and um, so it, yeah, it's it's a bit of a challenge to say the yeah. least. No, I. But you mean, know, everybody's in the same everybody's in the same boat.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And for you though, as you prep, I mean, you know, it, it's so different. And I, I don't know if the announcement has already been had. I apologize if it has been, but the prospect of playing in the fall seems grimmer and grimmer uh, with each passing day, uh, knowing that certainly the first three months, four months are going to be different. How has the communication level been with your team? How are you guys staying connected and together to get in any sort of work during this time period?
1: Yeah, no, I think it was a lot of coaches have, have been talking about on, on your, your podcast, you know, a lot of zoom calls, a lot of texts, a lot of WhatsApp with the international kids. Um, you, you just c- communicate in a- any, any way you can. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to to set expectations on, you know, how some things will change and what we want to do and, and just try to keep them. I, you know, it's a very challenging time for them. And, I you know, a lot of a lot of these kids, both high school kids coming in that have missed proms and graduations and um, and upperclassmen that had their seasons canceled. Um, you know, you, you just try to, to keep them as motivated as possible and, and let them know that that. You know that i'm aware of of some of the unfortunate um sacrifices that that they've had to make and and but you know get them excited that this is going to be a special year for us and and you know we're optimistic that we're going to get going we're we're still on for 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 fall um tennis as of today and you know it's obviously a very fluid situation but um you know i'm just ready to, to get out and and get to know the guys and get them to know me and and um you know Take those relationships, which are can only be so strong, you know, through through Zoom. Uh, you know, it makes a big difference when you're when you're face to face.
0: Of course, have you had any of them send you video? You're just like, just show me your game. Just give me give me a little five to ten minutes. Yeah, like you, you
1: know, some of them miraculously have, have lost their their video, so um, <laughs> I, you know, like, I'm not sure what that's all about. But uh, yeah, some of the incoming freshmen and and they've been out there playing some of the you know a lot of the ITA tournaments, so that's good um but yeah no i don't have a handle on their games as much as i I would like but um hopefully i can catch up to speed in in the fall if we're Uh, if we're out hitting balls
0: i feel like that's got to be a really fun prospect for you just this idea of having again six to ten new kids to just see their games and explore just a brand new avenue of tennis
1: well, I think the exciting part is they, they won't be tired of my stories and, and my, <laughs> my, uh, my banal attitude. I think that, that, you know, I've got a little window of a, a honeymoon period. And, and um, you know, I, I'm sure that the Kyle Seelings of the world and the, the Martin Joyce have, have heard the stories all, all too many times. So I've got a, a fresh audience
0: yeah exactly they're gonna be like you know justin Cronaggy? as opposed right. to the jj wolf who's gonna be like oh yeah freaking Cronaggy. like yeah i'm, I'm aware <laughs> of it yeah so no that is awesome um and again i think we are all really exciting for seeing uh again you take over the program it's it feels like for years you know everyone wondered is dave Schilling going to take a job because i'm sure the offers were out there and so it's so great to get to see you now spearheading a program any expectations early on or is it way too early to think about those sorts of things
1: Oh yeah, no, I have expectations. I'm, I'm uh, not sure. I, I'm going to put them out there in the, in the ether. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they'll, they'll know the expectations pretty quickly. Um, you know, we, we, we want to be successful. We want to be successful on the court, off the court. Um, a- anything that we, we do. I, you know, uh, I was fortunate to be around some of the most competitive people um, that I've ever met over the past 20 years, and. and and I know how far that that can take you. And I'm pretty competitive myself. And so, you know, I want to I want to get on campus and, and start getting guys to compete. And, and um, you know, I've learned from two of the best in, in Justin Kronagi and, and Ty Tucker and in, in how hard you have to compete every day, you know, to, to have the success that, that the Ohio State programs had. So see if I can do a little mini version of that. Pull, pull that off.
0: Uh, true or false starting in 2025 it's going to be a home and home series every other year between Denison and Ohio State
1: uh, false <laughs> <laughs> well, I would enjoy for, it for all kinds of reasons yeah you might be the only one that would enjoy that <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly some preseason action, maybe. Some unofficial uh, hidden duels, I think is what they're called. Um, Yeah, we'll see if we can get any of that. But all right, with that in mind, Coach, again, you've been so kind with your time. Just want to end with a couple rapid-fire questions. Rapid more in the sense that I'm going to go across the board here and throw some questions your way. Take as long with the answers as you want. That sound good to you? Sounds perfect. All right, let's do it. Well, then let's start here. And I, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but you are not a man who is afraid to take chances on the court things such as, again, the, the staggered eye formation. You have the server serving volleyer while the guy who's usually at the net stays back. Where does, I know we've talked about it, but where do those, where does that creativity come from? What inspires the idea of, huh, maybe I should try this? You know, why, why even try something like that?
1: Uh, well, the, the flippant answer would be desperation, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just try, you know, just because guys aren't as developed in certain skill sets as, as they, you know, may be a few years down the road, you know, it, it doesn't mean you should stop trying to, to compete. So it really is just a matter of, of coming up with ideas that that will put guys in positions to do what they do best um You know, if 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 they have a crazy inside-out forehand, we had a guy named Devin McCarthy that could hit an incredible inside-out short passing shot. Like I've never seen anybody else do it. So you know, like I would just spend time thinking about, okay, how do we get him in in this situation? Well, we got to start him in the ad side a lot of the times. So it didn't matter where his partner was, you know, serving, he would start in the ad side so he could hit that one shot. So it really is just a matter of trying to to, to put guys in a court position that they'll be able to do what they do best. And, you know, Hey, if it's great, if you've got Martin Joyce and you can serve in balling them all the time and uh, you know, that's the ideal, that's the best case scenario. But, but often you get guys that are are more my size that may not have the, you know, 125 mile an hour serve that uh, I, I still am convinced you can win a lot of doubles matches with.
0: No, I agree. And again, it's this idea of not being uh, stubborn, of being open to trying new things. And so, again, a rapid fire here, and I feel like I'm going to get some avoided questions or avoided answers. But the player <laughs> we during your t- quacking out yeah. the answers exactly the player during exactly um the player during your time at ohio state who was most receptive to trying new things who you would say hey we're gonna do a staggered eye here where you're actually gonna start at the net but backpedal as he's surfing not that that's something you ever did but I, who was the most receptive to being like i'm down to try
1: uh hugo de feo and martin joyce
0: really they just do anything
1: yeah. oh yeah <laughs> we we would we would sneak down on court four and just make stuff up you know so, Ty would be down on one intense and, and focus and we'd just kind of keep sliding down a court, kind of get out of sight. And then we would just we would we would try crazy stuff. So, those two loved it. Yeah,
0: I love it. Who was the least receptive? Um,
1: Wow. In the beginning, a lot of them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know in, in the beginning, I remember having a huge fight with Stephen Monica one time about trying to get him to to do some crazy stuff. But by the end, he loved it, you know you know, he'd be calling he'd be calling his own crazy plays.
0: Yeah, no, that's again, that's part of the development. Um all right, the the craziest proposal you've thrown out there where Tucker just says, absolutely not.
1: Ooh God, I I wish I knew that one was coming. I, I don't know. It probably <laughs> probably a series of, you know, it's probably a series of cuts like where I just keep coming up and saying stupid stuff and after a while he just gets sick of it. So I you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's one uh oh y- I don't, you know, like, when, oh, I pro- probably the, the running joke is I, I was always calling to have Kronogi pulled from the match when he was a player, <laughs> you know, but probably the greatest competitor in Ohio State history. And I'd be like, after doubles, he's like, well, what do we need to do? And I'd be like, Yeah, oh, we got to pull Cronoggy. you know. <laughs> so that was probably the one that, that went down with the least uh, reception.
0: Oh no that's great. All right, the match if you could replay any match from your tenure at Ohio State whether it's to change the result or just be in that moment again, which match would it be?
1: Oh, it's got to be the 2009 final against USC I would guess, you know.
0: Would you pull a layer? Just be like we're not playing them.
1: No, the the pull, you know, we did that one time we we pulled Drew Eberly one time against uh against i, I think it was texas in the quarterfinals at tulsa one year and um that didn't work out so well because you know we pulled him out of uh, singles and within three days he was an all-american so you know he, <laughs> he went and played great in the, the individual tournament so i you know i now i, th- I think we'd probably you know I, I don't think it was anything like that maybe just try to get off to a better start on a couple courts or uh i don't you know i'm not sure you know we mm-hmm. had the answers for, for them that day but if you'd let me start from zero again, oh, you know, there, there, there was a, the double's point that day was was one that we, we I won't get into, you know, what we could have done differently, but um, let's just say there were some 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 players making their own own decisions that if I could change anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how, um, and I know this is part of his, you know, part of his, uh, he's very superstitious, but the idea of, you know, one court, one assignment, you're with one team. Did you enjoy that aspect of the coaching that you could lock in on, say, Joyce DeFeo, or I know, you know, I think it was you were with Joyce and Wolf, uh, one of the following, or maybe not Joyce and Wolf. I think you, maybe, I don't remember who you were with at this point, but is that fun to you to get to lock in on a specific team?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that because you, you do, you, you then have the entire uh, body of work, uh in your memory bank of what worked what didn't work and and sometimes when you're you're shuffling around you know you might not remember what happened last weekend because you weren't on the court so you don't know like what guys might be familiar with so particularly in in with guys doing kind of non-non-traditional stuff i think it helps to to have a kind of a long run with them so yeah i really i really enjoyed that that Mm -hmm. aspect
0: of it no for sure it was delightful um uh, again i i know i'm i'm Kind of at the I told you this beforehand. One of my favorite coaching or you know just on site experiences was watching you coach John McNally through that singles match, um, you know against Petros Risokos in that uh, national indoor final back in 2019. Is there a player throughout your career in singles, and you sort of mentioned the guy who was the most receptive? But was there a player during your career who you just enjoyed coaching at Ohio State? You loved being on their court. They were just really receptive or whatever it may be. Who was your favorite on court experience?
1: uh whichever guy was winning that day um <laughs> <laughs> so i you know uh, to be honest all, all of them i mean there there were you know there might have been a player or two i didn't enjoy so much in, in the first year or two but after that i mean i'd just been blessed to you know and, and i know it sounds cliche but um no i mean all, all the guys i mean I, i've been fortunate you know here's a, some division three coach you know comes here and you know he, he didn't play at this level and they've I, i've been incredibly fortunate for for them to to buy in um so I, i'm appreciative of that so they're 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 all you know they've all been fun you know all the names we've mentioned today have, have been particularly rewarding
0: no absolutely all right again home stretch here have you seen ty tucker's calves and what do they look like
1: his calves yeah they're pretty big ty you know <laughs> ty's not built like most tennis coaches you know
0: yeah, which begs the question can we get the man a new pair of pants Well, like I think I was telling you, the
1: rumor was he had busted out a new pair for this year and, you know, (laughs) and COVID just worked against him. I mean, you know, um, I, you know, I think he might have had a couple rotations in there that people weren't aware of, you know, Mm -hmm. but but let me tell you, I did spend a lot in those 21 years. I spent a lot of time in laundry mats with Ty through the years. So (laughs) (laughs) when you're washing the the clothes on the road every night and and it's not the team clothes, uh, you know.
0: No, it's just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I mean, between that, the pen caps, again, we, you're right. We did talk about all of these things. It's clear why he's superstitious. He changes pants. The seasons get canceled. So, you know, he'll never do anything like right. that again Right? Uh, I, I
1: just hope he had the 20, 2018 pants still laying around. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Then, you know, we, we sort of alluded to this earlier, but my last question for you, uh, getting to take over the program at Denison. Again, what are the challenges you are most looking forward to tackling as you get to, again, build this program and take over from coach Burling?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the challenges are just, you know, trying to, to, to to get everybody to buy in in a shorter, shorter amount of time that you have at division three than you have at division one. And, and, uh, you know, just just trying, you know, getting to getting to know the biggest challenge is just getting to know their games and, you know, how quickly we're not afforded this, the same opportunities. And, and it could be particularly concerning with, um you know, COVID, perhaps changing schedules and things like that. So the, I think the biggest challenge is just the, the times we're living in. And, and um, I, I feel like just such a short amount of time to get a lot of things implemented.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's completely fair. All right, last three, I promise, Home homestretch. Uh, you talk about yeah. getting to coach all of the little guys. Uh, I ask this question, and whenever we have pros on nowadays, I like to ask this to them. Uh, for the men's game in particular, you see guys like you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Hachinov. Uh, you can go on Opelka, obviously, is the extreme example, but herkots, And it seems like Medvedev to succeed at the highest levels of the men's uh, professional game right now, it seems like the direction it's going is you're gonna have to be six foot four, six foot five, six foot six, be you know fluid as an athlete but also have that natural serve that big forehand to compete at the top of the game. Do you think that's true or false?
1: I would get based on the numbers, I would say that's true. I, I would would in my heart hope that, that it's not true but but based on on the numbers that I'm seeing I, I would have to say that as true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's almost, I don't think it's concerning because I still think we're going to see a variety of play, right? I think we're still going to see players do different things, but it's almost a physical necessity now just given how physical the game's become.
1: It, it certainly helps. I mean, it, it certainly helps. I was explaining to one of our incoming freshmen, you know, who's, again, my, my size, that, you know, like you're not afforded this big serve, so nothing's going to be easy um mm-hmm. you know you're gonna have to work for every point but but i'm also confident that there'll be an under six foot you know top male player again before long you know they just you, you'll get an athlete that is just you know got an affinity for it
0: mm-hmm. no certainly uh that that I, again I'm, I'm not saying that it's going to be impossible i just think more and more likely you're going to see six four, six five, six six it's, at the top it certainly of the seems a game. trend yeah yeah absolutely all right last two for you more satisfying feeling beating kenyon or beating the wolverines
1: Oof. Um, they're probably both equal. I, I'm pretty into to beating whatever rival is at, at any <laughs> where, where are you? Like I was I was telling you before, I don't tend to look back a whole lot. I, I tend to look forward. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to playing Kenyan this,
0: this coming year. But, yeah, um, the sweetest yeah. one is the next one, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, then I, you don't want to look back. I'm going to force you to do it one last time. My final question. The reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, the single most important takeaway I think our listeners can take from this conversation was Michigan going to beat Ohio state this year in big 10 men's tennis.
1: Well, I don't, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to bet against the, the Buckeyes, <laughs> but uh, you know, Adam is at an incredible, um, it's done an incredible job there and, and they certainly were looking awfully good at the national indoors that uh, I think it was the quarterfinal match. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just, yeah, I mean, they just, they looked good. They looked good. It, it was going to be a battle, but you know, the Buckeyes were at home. Uh, you know, we, we've we've won a match or two at, at home through the years. So, yeah,
0: To you say know. the least. Oh, I forgot. I didn't yeah. even mention that. Oh, what do you, what do you say?
1: If you're going to put me Ooh. on the spot. What, what do you say as a Wolverine? So, now, you got to be honest. You got to be honest.
0: So I will – and it's so funny because you talk to Ty and he goes, well, I've got my personal rankings. Is that true? He's got a personal (laughs) ranking list where he goes through with all the teams and all the matchups?
1: Yes. And nothing ever is on an even number. (laughs) He'll he'll never see you in 10 minutes. It'll be in eight minutes. You know, it it (laughs) will never – no team has ever been 10, 20, or 30 in the country. They'll be 22, 18, or, you know. So, yes, he's got a, a rolling ranking in his head.
0: So I've asked for lists for access to that. I'm like, Ty, just share me on the Google Doc. I was like, I'm not going to edit it. You don't have to give me editing functions. I just want to see your rankings as well. And you know, I will say something we want to do at Cracked Rackets is get a coach's poll because it would be fascinating to see what the coaches think uh, in terms of ITA rankings. Now, I was obfuscating there to buy myself time. Here's what I'll say. McNally and Cash were great. They were really, really good. Fenty and Seymour and Styler and Johnston to have those two doubles teams at the top of your doubles lineup. Those are two teams that could go on the pro circuit right now and have success at the futures at the challenger's level. I think they're that talented as doubles pairings. You know, I watched Seymour and Seymour have success at the Ann Arbor challenger. I, I think Connor Johnston is arguably the best doubles player in college tennis, not the best player, but the arguably the best doubles player, that two handed swinging volley. It will always be a thing to behold. But at Ohio State, you never bet against the Buckeyes at Ohio State. And I watched Styler clinch, I think, six matches in a row. But, like, Styler Kingsley, you probably give the edge to Kingsley at uh, in Columbus. And if Michigan's not getting a win from Styler on that day, even if Fenty wins, even if Seymour beats Boulez, although knowing Tucker, as I do in that match, it's going to end up being Seymour uh, taking on Sealeg, He'll do a little switch up. I just... In Columbus, it would be too tough. I'd take us in Ann Arbor because we take the doubles point, ride that momentum, and I would just be on your court, coach, chirping the entire time. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, but barring those circumstances in Columbus, I probably take the Buckeyes. Although, if it's an outdoor match, it's just going to be sloppy tennis all the way around.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of factors in there, you know, you could throw the wind in there, but um, we were, we're, you know, we were pretty good in the the varsity tennis center through the years. So, you know, but that, that was a legitimate top five team in the country and they, they showed it and they, uh, boy, I love the way they play with a a ton of heart, you know, Mm -hmm. energy and heart. And that, that will, um, you know, that's always been true of coach Steinberg's team. I mean, we, we played him when he was at Pepperdine, we played him when he was at Alabama, and uh, and I can assure you that's one of the, the major lessons that I'm taking to Dennis. And he, He's got a great line, you know, that he uses that that I will, uh, you know, steal from him. And that's, you know, he tells his guys, you know, what's best for the team is not always best for the individual. And I, you know, I couldn't agree with that more. So it would be it would be a great college tennis match. I, you know, I honestly think.
0: Yeah, no, and I think he would say mockery is the most sincere form of flattery. So he would be honored <laughs> to hear that. And, of course, you know, again, that's part of college tennis is you, if you're not taking what the other coaches are doing well and applying that to your own program, you're just not going to be able to compete. I think that's a fair assumption as well, right? It's, you're watching well, what other coaches are doing. If they're having success, you're going to try it.
1: Well, it's what do they say? Good good artists borrow, great artists steal. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, except for in the podcast, right? I I say this to her, You know, if anyone's stealing my lines, I will be furious. Um, I, you know, very sensitive, very egotistical. You've but got no, a big uh,
1: vocabulary. You know, I was going to try to throw obfuscate out there, but I figured I'd mess up the pronunciation after you used it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I think your 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 words are safe unless you've got some Ivy League uh, tennis podcast oh, out there. You
0: know, they call Michigan the Ivy League of the Midwest, Coach. And uh, again, they we're, they <laughs>
1: meaning Michigan people.
0: No, no one does. Uh, They meaning me. Uh, But no, yeah, one of my other theories is how Michigan, it's time for us to just annex Toledo and take it back for ourselves because Toledo is a part of Michigan. It's not a part of Ohio. But that's just, you know, that's a that's a story for another time. I suppose we fully off topic. Notice
1: you didn't bring that up with Ross Wilson last week. (laughs) Well, that's because, you know, I'm not sure he would agree with you.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, Iowa is not Ohio State. You know, we're equals here. Iowa's still a little bit, but no, I'm just kidding, Coach. Yeah, but he grew obviously. up. He grew up in Toledo, so I think yeah, he he's would have st- strong
1: opinions. Uh,
0: yeah, well, isn't it? Again, I'm pretty sure Michigan gave it up in the war early on, late 18th century, early 19th century, uh, if my Michigan-Ohio border history is correct. But now we are really off the deep end, which is exactly where these rapid fires are supposed to go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think I have hit all of my questions for now. I damn, I'm i reserving the right to bring you back, Coach. But, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And seriously, well, thank, life. Thank thing. you. It's, it's a,
1: been a lot of fun.
0: Oh, I lied. I'm going to sneak in one more. Wilson Tennis Camps. I know this summer has been tough, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Collegiate Tennis Camps and, you know, the the program you've built there as well? Yeah, you yeah, know, I've been running
1: the Wilson Collegiate Tennis Camps. I think this would have been our 10th summer, um, you know, and, and uh, we partnered with Wilson Tennis um, out of Chicago and, and put on camps all around the country. I think this year we had 35 scheduled, you know, everywhere from Notre Dame to USC to SMU, Penn, you know, all over the country, uh, Yale, all kinds of schools. So we get about, uh, I think we had 4,000 kids involved in the camps last year. And, and you know, I run one up at, in my hometown at the College of Worcester. And, and uh, I, it just, it's a lot of fun. I think the coaches really enjoy, um, you know, working with the young kids. And, and I know I always look forward to it every summer. The, the, the younger kids make you laugh nonstop, it's a, it's a <laughs> ton of fun.
0: Yeah, no, you're always going to hear something creative that you didn't expect. That's,
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're just like, I can't believe you said that out loud. Uh, you got to no, get some of those
1: kids, some of those kids on the podcast. Uh, there you'll get some real w- stories.
0: I was going to say we would, but I'll get in trouble. Um, yeah, so, probably. You know, that, that's what we're always trying to avoid. But again, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, I know I speak again for Jamie McDonald. All of us, we're going to be Denison fans here at Cracked Rackets. And well, you know, I like that. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be tutoring on you know Middlebury. I should say is coached by someone who went to my high school in Andrew Thompson. So you know I'll have dual loyalties, but certainly Dennis, Denison one A, Middlebury one B. I,
1: I like that. We'll uh, and we'll work on making that a little bit more separation.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Well, coach, again, stay safe, stay healthy. Look forward to. Yep, chatting you with too. Weekend, Thanks soon. so much for all that you do for for college tennis,
1: and and uh, I'm a big fan.
0: Of course, can I get a go red out of you?
1: Uh, go red
0: yeah awesome take care i thought you were tricking me there i was i was waiting for the blue to drop
1: in there (laughs) no 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 pause there
0: yeah no 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 i again i'm ready to ride with dennison coach i love it it. (laughs) yeah all right take care all right you too bye-bye Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Denison Men's Tennis Head Coach Dave Schilling. And of course, all of us are just hoping that we're going to get to see some sort of college tennis season during this 2020-2021 calendar year. So again, we are wishing luck, safety, health to both Dave, his family, the entire uh, Denison Men's Tennis team. And of course, all of us are going to be thinking about college tennis, of course, as we all wonder, given the financial ramifications of this global pandemic on, you know, all of us, but on college sports as well how will that impact the tennis season I know you know I continue to talk with people like ITA CEO Tim Russell and you know everyone at the ITA crew they're doing all they can to try and ensure that we have uh, some sort of college tennis this year so shout out to their continued efforts and of course shout out to coach Schilling for taking the time to chat and all he has done as all he has done as well uh, to help grow our beloved sport of college tennis but you know we did want to throw that interview out there for all of you listeners of course course, another thing all of you are wondering, what's going on in New York? How can I prepare for all of the action, Western and Southern Open, followed by the U.S. Open? Well, rest assured, folks, our Cracked Rackets team has you covered. It's going to be articles, videos, podcasts across our various platforms. You can find all of the content by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're at Cracked Rackets. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the mini break and inside out podcasts. And, of course, be sure, again, to check out that Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to see it all on video as well. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of any job they do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Because, of course, we're all just so excited to have professional tennis back in our lives. Let's make the most of it. Be sure to follow all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You want to message me directly on Twitter. I am at GreatShotPod, and I always appreciate a funny D. So please feel free to do so. Uh, but with that in mind, again, for our wonderful guest, Denison Men's Tennis Head Coach Dave Schilling, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.